Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Would you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1? Look at verse 1, the last part of the verse. Paul says, I was set apart for the gospel of God. Gospel means good news. Concerning, it says, his son, who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh, and who was declared the son of God with power by a certain lineage. That was a giveaway for the Jews, by the way, in case they wanted to know, how do you know which guy is the right guy? He's got to be born through this certain lineage. He has to be born in a certain place, Bethlehem, the house of bread. He has to be called out of Egypt. All these scriptures. That's why the book of Matthew spends so much time saying Jesus did this according to the scripture. And Jesus did that according to, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. See, Jesus came to fulfill what God had promised. And Paul says, here's the gospel, the good news. God, who promised beforehand that he would send someone to save us, Guess what he did? Fulfilled his promise. I mean, that's boiling it down, but isn't that true? He fulfilled his promise, and he proved that this Jesus was not just the son of David according to the flesh, but that he was the son of God according to some greater thing that he did. And this is the hallmark, the very keystone of our Christian faith is found in the very next line. What proved him to be the power of the resurrection from the dead? According to the spirit of holiness, it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He was the one who through whom he says, we received grace and we received apostleship to being about the obedience of faith amongst the Gentiles for his name's sake. I was sent by God to bring about obedience of faith, to let people know, follow the Lord. Paul had a, a very specific apostleship, one that in the Jewish faith, if you were to tell another Jew, I'm going to go bring good news of God's salvation to those non-Jews. How, how popular was he back home? They went, get lost, buddy. By the way, the Jews had a name for us. Okay, we're, we're Gentiles. We're called Gentile dogs by the Jews. That's what they call non-Jewish people. Don't think they're being nice, like, oh, puppy, hey, love my doggy. No, they're using it in the baddest connotation. Dog poops on the carpet, ruins the thing. You Gentile dog. Not in a good way. That's how the Jews viewed the non-Jews. And Paul says, but God sent me to the people who need the gospel. And he promised that the gospel would go to war man. Paul will say in the same book, right here in the book of Romans, later on in this discourse, he'll say, salvation went first to the Jew, but then to the Gentile. He's going to be the one that explains fully how that works. And he's got a great insight into the whole spiel of how the Jewish-Gentile relationship is something God's at work at. He's doing a cool thing, but we're not to that part yet. We're just to the sum up of the gospel. The sum up is that God sent Jesus and he declared him to be his son by raising him from the dead. Verse six says, Paul says, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Now he just said he was called of Jesus, right? To be an apostle. But he tells the people he's writing to, which 
if I read you just the next verse, you'll see who it is. It's obvious. It says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. You're called to be saints. Now, has anyone else besides me raised Roman Catholic? When we went to the church, we were taught the saints were the guys in stained glass. And they were dead. And they did miracles. They had all this stuff. Bunch of requirements to be a saint. It's not the word what is in here in the Bible. This word in Greek means believer. Anyone who believes in Jesus is a saint by pure definition of the word. He's saying, God has called me to be an apostle, and he's called you guys, all of you, to be called of his son, Jesus, to be his believers. You are saints because you believe in him. So now we know who he's writing to. He's writing to believers. By the way, do we write differently? Say I'm talking to my believing friends or I'm talking to someone who doesn't know about the Lord. Would I write different points according to what the audience? Sure. So this book is really a book written to believers, to saints. And to the non-believers, they're going to look at it and go, this is pretty deep. To the believers, they're going, this is good. Man, it covers all the main stuff I need. You know, this is like, like the real important stuff. This is a great book. Okay, yeah, because you have to know who it's written to. Maybe I have a non-Christian friend that I want to introduce them to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Should I start them off in Romans? No, I don't recommend it. You know what I do? I would get him to read the gospel of John. Because in the gospel of John, John says in chapter 20, he says, I wrote these things. He gives the reason why he wrote too, by the way, so that you might believe in Jesus. And, and by believing in him, you might gain everlasting life. He was like, I wrote so you could, basically, if you didn't know this, you could find out about Jesus and come to have everlasting life. So if you have a friend that doesn't know the Lord, have him read the gospel of John. But if they know the Lord and they want to get closer to the Lord, they want to get past some of the things they're struggling with. You know, a lot of Christians, they come to faith and yet they still have things from their past that kind of are like bonds or like fetters, they're shackles holding them back. The book of Romans can help them in such great ways to be freed. Paul's writing to the believers some things they need to know. And he's been around a while. This is not new stuff to him. He's writing this around 58 AD, so the gospel's been going a while. Remember in 33 AD is when they crucified our Lord and he rose from the dead. And so Paul was Saul back then and he was persecuting the Christians. He even stood by while they were stoning one of the first martyrs in the church, Stephen, holding the robes of the guys that did it, going, yeah, all right, get that guy. He was very zealous, but for the wrong thing. And the Lord was going to change him and convert him. And now he says, God called me to do something different. So this is what he writes to them. All you guys who are called of saints, here's his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a good greeting? Grace and peace from God. You know, the peace of the Lord, it says it, it's beyond all human comprehension. You know, we can be in a really bad situation, but the Lord just gives us this calmness. And people are like, how can you stay so calm? And you're like, uh, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. When you're a believer, 
the Lord reassures you he's with you and it, it gives you a peace inside. So this is Paul. Hey, grace and peace to all you believers. And now he says this. He says, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because he says, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. The faith of these believers in Rome, word had spread. People were coming and going through Rome. It was a hub of all political power. And yet, as people are coming in and going out from this place, Paul says, word of your faith has spread. That you guys have faith. And he says, I thank God for your faith. Now, just so you know, Paul's writing from the place called Corinth. He's not at Rome. He's hearing about their faith. He's on his third missionary journey. When we get to chapter 15, I'll show you. He's just taken up a collection for the poor saints that are in Jerusalem. He's heard of the great persecution that's come to them. And so he's going to the Gentile churches and saying, guys, salvation was first to the Jews, not us. So we should help our brethren back in Jerusalem. And he took up offerings, not for himself. Paul never took up offerings we're aware of for himself. He had gifts sent to him. He said, thank you, but I don't seek the gift. I seek the profit that you'll receive. He understood whenever you give to someone in the name of the Lord, Jesus said, if you do this to the least of my brethren, it's like you did it to me. Now, if you do anything to the Lord, the Bible teaches us that God will be no man's debtor. You do something in love to your fellow man, and God goes, I see that. I got you. It's like you did it to me, he says. And if you do it to him, you can't outgive God. You do it to him, I'll repay you for that. Try this sometime. Try to bless somebody and see if God doesn't bless you. Has anyone experienced this where you bless somebody and the Lord, before you can even get home, blesses you back? You're like, wow, this is amazing. Every time we share the blessings of the Lord with others, he just blesses us back. I think he's just checking our heart to see how we are. He's trying to help us become more like him, compassionate and full of mercy. And so Paul says, I've heard about your guys' faith. He's over in Corinth and he's saying, I've heard of your guys' faith all the way from here. As I've been traveling on my missionary journey, I've heard the faith of this church in Rome is just off the hook. I mean, these guys are into the Lord. Now, I wouldn't mind if they said that about us. They heard about this little church on a beach in Hawaii that's just full of God's love and grace and mercy, and it's just, man, rocking it. And somebody says, I heard about that, and I'm all the way on the mainland. That's what it'd be like. Well, it's a little closer. We're more remote, okay? But I'm just saying, it's a distance. It's just cool that the word had traveled that far. Wouldn't it be nice to have someone say that about your faith? They heard about your faith from far away. Oh, by the way, here comes the part, his motivation. What's he after when he's writing to these guys? What does he want? I'm going to show you that because he doesn't hide. He says, verse 9, For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness, as to how unceasingly I make mention of you in my prayers, always making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, he says, I might succeed in coming to you. I mean, he's heard about their faith. He's like, I want to go check these guys out. I want to be with them. And so here, Paul says, I can't wait. I got to be with you guys so I can see you established. You've got faith. Now you need the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit, because they help you lock in and grow. 
Now listen to this. Verse 12, he says, here's something that he recognized that I want you to recognize. He can't wait to go be with them and see them established, impart to them a spiritual gift. He says, that is that I may be encouraged, he says, together with you while I'm among you. Each of us, he says, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I, I call this a very mature insight. Whenever you go to encourage someone else, as that encouragement flows through you, guess who gets encouraged in the process? You do. It is impossible for you to bring encouragement to someone else without God bringing encouragement to your heart in the doing. You don't think so? You haven't tried. You tried this week. By the way, this is going to sound really counterintuitive. Say you're having a really, really down day yourself. You're like at low lows. Guess what you should do when you feel low? You go find someone else who feels lower or, you know, equal, whatever, just low. And you encourage them. And you know what will happen to you? It will be lifted. Now, put yourself here in this setting. You're in Corinth. You're on a missionary journey. You're hearing about their faith. And you can't wait to see them so that they can be established in their faith with spiritual gifts. But he says also that I could be encouraged together with you. Both of us, both your faith and mine, we're going to both be encouraged because we get together. And by the way, the Bible tells us in the last days, men will forsake the assembling together of themselves. When it comes to going to church, they'll say, oh, I don't need anyone else. I can do this on my own. Have you run into those lone Christians? By the way, very dangerous attitude to have. Satan wants you to be alone. He wants you to get away from the flock of God because then it's just like a sheep off away from the rest of the flock. He goes, ah, a wandering one. You know, the Bible says that the devil, he's roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. Do you think a roaring lion goes after the whole flock? No, you know what they do, right? They separate one of the weak ones away. And when they get that weak one away, that's when they pounce. And that's what the devil wants to do. And so a lot of believers today are missing out on a very important part of what they need, even though they don't understand it. They're discouraged. And they're like, I'm discouraged. I'm not going to go to church. And I've said this before. On the day when you feel the least like going to church, what should you do that day? Go to church. That's the day you need it the most. That's the day, if you can receive it in your spirit, your spirit, by the way, will bear witness that this is true. That's the day when you really need to be at church. Because that's the day when inside you're struggling and you might not even get this. You might be thinking, well, I need someone to speak to me and encourage me because I'm really down. And you know what God's going to do? Not what you're thinking. He's going to send you to church, sit you next to someone else who's way downer than you, and say, Jan, I want you to encourage him. Or her. And you'll be like, but I'm already down. Just do it. Right? If one goes, you go on that day when you don't feel like going, and you're thinking, well, maybe God will have someone speak to me encouraging words. You might find out you're being sent to be the one to give encouraging words. And if you can receive this, it's impossible.
to give encouraging words without God's Spirit flowing as it flows through you. Those words of encouragement are life to someone else who's down. And those words will flow through your lips. And as they fall from your lips, God will strengthen your heart. Bible says, out of a man's mouth, he speaks what is in his heart. You know, you could be down and he might be sending you because maybe you just need to see you don't have it so bad. You know, someone came a couple weeks ago. They were down. They were struggling. They go out here. They saw the feeding that was going on. We feed the homeless before the service. They were here just a couple minutes early. They saw the breakfast. They saw someone who had no shoes, no shirt. The fellow just looked like he had been beat up. And as she listened, she said, I overheard that he was beat up. Those marks on his face and stuff, the bruises, that's because someone jumped him and took all his stuff. And she was saying, I felt pretty bad, like my life was bad. I have a car, I had a clean shower, I got clean clothes. I, wah, 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 I'm having a bad day. But she went to church and realized, I have a really good day. Sometimes we just need a little adjustment of our attitude. And the Lord has wired us where we don't always adjust well on our own. We need a little help from one another. So he puts us with others that can just rub off on us. Sometimes just being next to them, we're like, man, I feel better. Some of you are hug deprived. I could tell this morning in the Aloha time, you just needed a hug. It's so funny. Because in Hawaii, that's just a normal greeting to give the hug and the kiss, you know, when you greet someone. The mainlanders are like, stiff. They're going to hug me. I don't know what to do. And then afterwards, they write little things and put them in our tie box that says, I really liked your church. It's so full of love. We don't have that. Could you pray we have that in our church? They're from somewhere in the mainland. I'm like... It's going to take some work. But the good Lord is the Lord that loves us. And it says we know how to love because he first loved us. And Paul knew this love. And Paul was like, I can't wait to be together with you guys. Man, it's going to be great. I'm going to get encouraged. You're going to get encouraged. All going to be encouraged by one another. And this is what happens. Now he says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often have planned to come to you. And I've been prevented, he says so far, he said, that I might obtain some fruit from you, as I have also amongst the rest of the Gentiles. He says, for I'm under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so that for my part, he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. He's not hiding why he's coming. He says, I'm going to come. I'm going to receive some fruit from you. I'm going to impart some gifts to you. I'm going to preach the good news to you. I am under obligation, he says. Now, who's he obliged to? Who made him under obligation to preach? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus told him, you're going to be my vessel. That's why we went over how he said he was called an apostle by the will of God. He said, God called me to do it. I'm pretty sure Paul would depict this job. On his own. You look at all the beatings he's going to go through, all the stuff. It was not his first pick, but it was God's pick for him. And he was willing to say, this is what God called me to do. Can't wait to come see you. And you guys 
You have a calling. You're called to be his saints. You are his believers. I can't wait to get together. I'm going to be encouraged. You're going to be encouraged. We can encourage one another. I have to do this. You get to find out his motives. He said he was under obligation to do this. To preach both to Greeks and to barbarians in, in Greek culture. If you didn't speak Greek, you know how in English we say, it's all Greek to me? Well, if you're a Greek and you don't speak Greek, because Greek has its own nice flow to it, the sound of other languages to someone who's fluent in Greek, they say it's um bar, 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 bar. Anyone that couldn't speak Greek, a Greek person would go bar, 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 barbarian. That's where we get the word barbarian, bar, bar. That's the sound that the Greeks perceive it of your language because you don't have that fluent, flowing Greek tongue. So I'm under obligation to the Greeks, to the bar, bar, the ones that don't speak Greek, to the ones that are wise, and to the ones that are foolish. Nobody's excluded. I'm under obligation to preach the gospel to them. That's why he's doing this. Thin down the plants around to make room for more growth. All that stuff to promote growth. I want to see you guys all grow in your faith in the Lord and be, like Paul said, established. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
For